Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looks at me, smiled, and he's never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys are going to get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who introduce some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes, and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. But that's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, Tom and Avatar, who host the podcast, and I'll let them introduce today's guest. See you later. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults. And we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former England cricketer. He played for 18 years for his county, Kent, and is now a Sky Sports commentator. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Key. Morning, boys. How are you? Morning. morning. That's better, Thanks. That was a better introduction than I do on Sky, to be honest. I normally just <laughs> have a shocker having to do that. We like to start our podcast with some quick fire questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh, probably Flintoff or Shane Warne. I don't know which one of which one of those two you have is the more famous. Go on, you can upset one of them. Probably Friday. Friday as well. Friday. Yeah. English or Friday. Yeah. <laughs> if you could trade laws with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Um, I'd quite like to be 
an actor, I think Leonardo DiCaprio has it pretty good in life, I'd say, from what I've seen. Um, I, uh, I love films. I love music as well, but I'm not particularly, I'm not like a, a fish. I'm giving you quick, long answers to a quick fire question. So Leonardo DiCaprio. If you go, if you could go back to one day in your life, what would it be and why? Well, I would probably, probably a day when I was playing for England. I didn't play that much, but maybe the 200. I would go back and live that again. That was good fun. I can't remember much about it, to be honest, like the feeling. But now I'm sort of mad on golf. I'd go back to any day when I drove the ball straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, as your child, what is your your earliest, earliest memories of cricket? I remember playing in the garden with my mum and dad at my granddad's house in Sussex place called Wittisham and I just remember being taught the forward defensive most people will probably now get taught the ramp or some big shot but <laughs> I was taught the forward defensive because it was probably about 1983 I'd say so when I was four or five What are your memories as a teenager when you were playing for Kent Seconds and playing in the England age groups I remember having a lot of fun, actually. I remember, you know, you're young, so you think you know better than everyone, and you're naive in the fact that you just think everything's going to be fine, and you have no real fear. You just think you're playing a game and you're having a bit of fun, and I, I think that's something you, you should hold on to for as long as you can in whatever you do. You make your first-class debut for Keith in Kent. Ken. In 1998, what was that like to make your debut? It was very nerve-wracking. And like everything you do, you hope and you think that you're good enough, but you never know. And all you really want is to do well, but you want the people around you that you, that you now work with to think that you're good. You know, you think you're good and you, you hope that you're good and you just want to prove it. And you never, no one ever knows what, how it's going to go. You just have all this hope and ambition. And that's, you know, I think that's probably the same in everything everyone does for the first time. You saw in the introduction of the 2020 competition start in England in 2003, and you won the competition with Kent in 2007. What are your memories of the early years of that tournament? And is it something you enjoy playing in? When that tournament first came in, we thought it was a holiday because we didn't think it was going to be around for very long. Because every you got to remember, this is the you know everything was about the longest form Test cricket, and we just thought we had two three weeks of a holiday period where we played for three hours as opposed to seven. We had a captain at one stage called Andrew Simons, who was a great cricketer, a really good cricketer for Australia. And his team taught once for one of the first games was, let's get this farce over and done with and get, you know, <laughs> go and have some fun. Little did we know that years later, cricketers would be making a fortune out the back of it. I mean, back then, gee, we were getting paid a cup of tea and, a, you know, we were probably getting paid like 30 grand a year, you know, which is a lot of money, but it's pittance compared to what they play now or pay now 
For a second, then I thought you were going to say minimum wage money. Mm. <laughs> um, you played with some great cricketers for Kent, such as Dravid, Steve Wall, and Mer. <laughs> I'm going to stuck on Merlithram. What was it like to play in the same team as them? That's one of the luckiest things that I ever got to do, actually, is that, you know, I played in an era when we played, when I played with and against some of the greatest cricketers ever. And that's why I know people like Shane Warne, because I was able to play against those guys. And they all were fantastic. And what you realise with them, so Steve Waugh was seen as the most mentally tough cricketer. And Murley, the greatest, were one of the greatest bowlers ever. And what you realised was they had their own, they had all the same fears and doubts that I had, but they were just better at silencing them. We heard that when Kent played Hampshire against oh, Australian cricketer Shane Warne, got everyone together to play poker during the rain delay. <laughs> Can you tell us more about that story? And did you ever beat him at poker? We so when we played yeah when we played Hampshire, Warney was a good mate of mine. So when we was in the poker craze, Texas Hold'em to be exact, and so we would turn up and we have the toss and we think right if it rains because the weather forecast was bad, we thought right we'll play poker. So in the end, we were more desperate for it to rain because we had this huge game of poker going on, you know, and you're only putting in like twenty quid or something. And it, it was just a big tournament type stuff. And we ended up playing till probably two o'clock one night. So we played all day because it rained all day and all night. And then the next day we did the same. Um, and then we'd go out and play against each other. And he would, you know, we'd all be sledging each other because it's pretty much half of our team and half of theirs. Um, but they're the mo- sport is not always about. The, the game you're playing it's about the stuff that happens in between it's like John Lennon's life is what happens when you're busy making other plans and that was you know they're the moments you you often remember when you finish rather than the individual matches I've seen Warney on TV playing a bit of poker I imagine he was pretty good was he good back then? He was back then he was not as good as he is now because he you know he was good but he wouldn't, you know, he never wanted to get beat. So he never, he, he often didn't lay down a hand and stuff like that. Whereas now he spent years playing with the top players of the world. So he's much better than all of us, which is bloody annoying. Hence why I don't play with him anymore. I just play <laughs> golf, play golf with him, which you have a chance to beat him at. He's like a nine handicapper who's been nine handicapped for 10 years probably and shoots three over. But every now and again, you get the best of it. <laughs> Oh, um, you made your England debut in 2002. And um, again, India, what was it like to make your de- uh, debut? Again, it's like everything you do. When you do it the first time, you're nervous and you just hope. And it, it's all test. International cricket is just cricket magnified. You know, all the scrutiny, everything. Imagine, you know, like you're walking down the street and you're playing cricket or whatever sport you play and there's 10 people watching you and no one really cares what you do. And in county cricket, there's a few more and a few more people care and you're aware of that. And test cricket is 
thousands of people care and the spotlight is on you. But it's the most exciting time for that. You just, again, you 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 just hope and pray it's going to go well, you know, and you have all the faith and belief. But when when it comes, you're just like, please, please don't make a fool. Please don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> there were a number of big names and characters in that England dressing room, such as Nasser, Matthew Hoggard, Flintoff, what was it like to play with these people? See, Freddie, I made my debut with Steve Harmson on that game you're talking about. And him, Harmy and, my, and Fred, we were, we were all best mates. We'd grown up through age group cricket together, so that was a good thing. And Fred was a youngster, but doing well. And Nasta, Stuart, those guys I'd watched as a kid. So I would, I'd be like 13 watching Nasser Hussain bat. So it was a bit daunting for me. At 23 or whatever it was going into a dressing room with those guys and that and nasa who who i love to bits is one of the all-time greatest people now back <laughs> then oh my god he was so strict yeah he'll say about you know we need a bit of, he's saying about england in the ashes now a bit of tough love and all this type of stuff let me tell you he was tough and there weren't much love and as youngsters, we used to we were petrified of him. But he he was like I always say he was like a wartime general or a wartime prime minister. Where you know English cricket needed a strong, tough character, and that's exactly what NASA the same was. And he is an unsung hero in English cricket. Really, do you think they need someone like that now? Yeah, I think they need. It's not, you just need, what you need is is people who just make the right decisions, I think, and who are who are not afraid. The great leaders stand up for what they believe is right. And they're lucky because most of the time they are right, whether that's Steve Jobs or whoever. You know, and you need people who are just going to stand up for what they think is the right thing to be done for the England team. Not what the media are saying, not what the players are saying, just what is right for English cricket really in so many different ways and NASA did that NASA stood up for the for what was right you then got called up for the 2002 to 2003 Ashes test in Australia what were your thoughts going into the series same so I went out there I was 20 I just literally thought what a trip this is all expenses paid great hotels in a great country you know, so I, myself and Harmy, Fred was on it, but injured. And we were playing against the greatest team who's ever lived, in my opinion. And I remember before the series, I met Adam Gilchrist. And I loved Adam Gilchrist. And he came up and he shook my hand and he sort of went, hi, Rob, I'm Adam Gilchrist. And I was like, oh, wow, yes, you're one of my heroes. Not that I said that. And I loved the way they played the game. I learned, you know, we, we got hammered like England had. We lost 4-1. But I wouldn't change that for anything, really, although I would change it for more runs. But I learned so much about cricket, myself, everything on that trip, um, that it, you know, I was much better for it. I was much better for that time because they were just far too good. That was the greatest. T- Shane Warne was like every ball was an event. You know, it's a real privilege to say that you face someone like that and Glenn McGrath and Brett Lee. But certainly Shane Warne is one of those things that people pay thousands of pounds now to face a ball from him. 
you know, and I got to do it over and over again. You lost that Ashes series 4-1. Why is it so hard for an England team to go to Australia and win? Because the conditions are different in the fact that in the simplest terms, the pitches are faster and they, they're, they're, they're faster, but they do less. You know, in England, the bowlers have to work less hard for their wickets. In Australia, you have to work really hard for your wickets. And we go over there used to having slightly easier cricket, probably. And we go over there where it is as tough as it gets. And we're not used to that. And that becomes a problem. You you very much become a product of your environment in life, I think, where, you know, Whatever you, whatever's in front of you, you adapt to what's in front of you. And unfortunately for us, our cricket's a little bit softer and a bit easier than what it is in Australia. And that's that's sort of that's why Australian cricket, on the whole, has been better off than English cricket. West Indies come to England in the summer of two thousand four. That was a really good series for you. What are your memories of that series? So I got dropped the year before and then had to go away and work at my, you know, work, try and improve what I was bad at, which I did, which was made a few changes. And I did it all myself, really. You do these things yourself. You're not waiting to be told what to do. You make decisions yourself and you do it. You have to own it. And I had a great start to the year. Got picked for England at Lords, and, you know, just had a bit of luck. But because I'd put all the work in beforehand, it just all took over, really. And, I, you know, I, I think you earn the right to have luck and be successful. And I, at that year, at that time, I'd earned the right to play well. Um, we were at the start of a great era of English cricket under Michael Vaughan, who was a brilliant captain, you know, an outstanding captain, who had just taken over from NASA. And we had a great, there were some great cricketers then, probably some of the best England's ever had. Flintoff, Vaughan, Trescothic, I mean, what a player. Strauss, um, Harmison, Hoggard, Simon Jones. Simon Jones would have been, you know, these guys were brilliant. And it was a, Duncan Fletcher was a good coach. It was the start of a fantastic, probably England's most successful time in Test cricket, I'd argue, for a long time. Who was the best bowler you ever faced and why? Lots of them. The best bowler was probably Wazim Akram, I'd say, because he was a complete natural. So Wazim Akram was quick, left arm, and he would he was horrible to see. So some bowlers, when they run up to you, no matter how fast they are, Alan Donald's a bit like this, not that I played against him that much, they're quick. But you, some reason, you can just see the ball better out of their hand. It's like, boom, and my gammy fingers. That's a demonstration. <laughs> Wazim Akram was like this, where you run up and you just go, <laughs> and he would, it would almost be like someone just running up and throwing the ball at you with no, there was no sort of build up. There was no, you, there was no sighter. There was nothing easy about it. It just all happened so quick. And he could, he was so natural that he could swing the ball. He could do anything he wanted with the ball, like with just a thought. He thinks he wants to swing it in. He does that. He thinks he wants to get it to go away from you. He does that. And you can't tell what he's doing. 
and then he had the worst bounce on. Oh, my word. When he, he hit me in the head twice in two balls, I gloved him down the leg side when I was 18 in a championship game. Playing for, he was playing for Lancashire. And I gloved him down the leg side and he I just stood there because I don't walk. You know, I make no bones about that. <laughs> and um, he said I wasn't very happy and so he swore at me a bit. And then the next ball, he went straight in the grill. We ran two, straight in the grill next ball as well. And I was like, Are you walked after that? No, but yeah, no, I still wouldn't have done. But fortunately, I got 40 odd and then got that got out. I sort of have the opinion, and people can slam me for this that, you know, no one helps me do my job. Why should I help them do theirs? Which is a pretty selfless, selfish way. You know, the umpires, they get paid, they should make the right decision. I completely agree with you, mate. That's a valid point. <laughs> Throughout your career, the media and fans said you were overweight. What did you think of people saying this at the time and did it ever upset you? Well, really, it, it didn't. But because I sort of still trained really hard, I was unlucky in the way that, you know, I didn't live a, the cleanest life. You know, I drank a bit at times, nothing major, but, but I worked quite hard on my fitness, you know. So I, you know, it was one of those things that, they talk about and I didn't know any better really now I'm in better shape now because I've had this guy tell me about what to eat and how to eat better and I've lost more weight I'm lighter now than I was as a player but back then when I was it didn't bother me because I knew that I was doing everything I could in my opinion to have success and I was pretty happy with how I was playing and how I did it and I also just felt I was very, very lucky in a lot of regards. You know, I had the ability to play cricket where I, you know, I had good hand-eye, I had a bit of talent to be able to play to a professional level, not as far as I wanted to go. And, you know, you don't get everything in life. You know, I wasn't blessed with the most athletic look, if you like, but you can't have everything. You know, you got to make the best of it. You've got to love your game. You've got to love your the way you do things, you know. A lot of sledging happens in cricket. This is where an opponent might say something horrible to a player to put them off. Did anyone ever say anything nasty to you when you were batting? Yeah, loads of times. But <laughs> unfortunately, I was probably the one dishing it out the other end anyway. Um, but I always think what people understand is there's a big difference in, in sledging in mindless abuse that the morons do. So swearing at people and having a go at them and calling them names and being personal is just for the for the idiots. You know, that's for the that's for the weak people. And generally those people actually have more insecurities than anyone else. The the, the real thing about sledging is to make someone think about their technique. You know, that so you might say to someone, you know, someone's batting and you might say you say to the person next to you in the slips, you might say, "Cool, dear, isn't he falling over to the offside? Because what you want them to think is like, am I doing that? You know, am I doing this? Or, or you know, you might say something like, cool, look at his grip. He's got dodgy grip, this fella, isn't he? And they might think, have I got a dodgy grip? And straight away, you've, you, you're, they're not focusing on what they've got to do. So that's what I see as sledging. The abuse side of it is for idiots. And you never, I used to 
when I was captain for nine years, if one of my bowlers gave a send-off, I would drag them off the field almost. So if they've got a batsman out and then they give them their, oh, you know, send them off to the boundary, I pull that bowler to one side. So don't, if you ever do that again, you're not playing, you know, because I think there's nothing more cowardly than that. You've done your job, you've got him out, let him go. Who in either your team or the opponent's team was the best at kind of the mind games and the sledging? Is it one person or one time? Yeah, Sh- Shane Warren was the absolute master because he was so good was the main thing. But Warney, again, he had the ability to make you feel that what you'd done... So if you when you played against Shane Warren, the ball, he's only a spinner, obviously, so he wasn't quick. But he had this presence. You know, when you meet people and they, they've just got an aura about them, he had that. And he made you feel he was coming for you, he was going to get you out. And every single ball... So when it, he would stand at the top of his mark, stare straight at you, walk a few paces, in he come, and this thing would come out, and the spin on the ball, you could hear through the air go, (sighs) like this, and you could see it, and it would drift, and it would come, and you would play, and you would play the most perfect defensive shot. And he would go, oh, (laughs) like that. And you'd be like, what's he going on about? And he'd make you feel, just with a look, you know, it's a bit like, that he'd give you the look my wife gives me if I come back at like three o'clock in the morning without telling her. <laughs> you know, he'd sort of look at you like, what on earth are you doing? And this real sort of, you know, this 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 look of just like, what on earth was that? And, and you, you'd start to go, is he right there? Was I? Was that not a good shot? I thought that was pretty perfect, that. And then you imagine that every ball. I got 100 against him once. And every ball, he's like that. And I'm just going, oh my God, this bloke's wearing me down. <laughs> you know. You played 21 times for England across all formats. Do you think you should have played more times for England? Well, yeah, I could have done. You know, I was un- where I was unlucky is that there was a lot of very good players around when I was playing. Like I said, it was a great era of English cricket. You know, and I was top run scorer in a series, got dropped. Because there were these other guys around, you know, Kevin Peterson, Ian Bell, everyone that played in my era, not like now, everyone that played instead of me was like one of England's best ever players. You know, Andrew Strauss, benighted. Alistair Cook, benighted. Um, you know, Jonathan Trott, average 50 nearly. Kevin Peterson, arguably England's greatest ever batsman. Marcus Trescothi, arguably England's greatest opener, in my opinion. Andrew Flintoff, I mean, what a player that bloke was. He, you know, he was all around a different to me, but you know, these guys, it, it was that that's the problem. When you have a great era of cricket, you you know, there can only be eleven players that play. And that had it been now, I'd probably get more opportunity. So then would you would you rather play now and have more opportunity, or would you rather stay with your career playing with, with the best cricketers England's position? Well, no, I would it's a tough one that because I'd, I I don't begrudge anything that I've got and I have a very good life and stuff like that but if I played now I might have more money but I'd imagine every sportsman thinks so but I don't think I'd trade my era for another you know I, I loved playing against these people it was a you know it was a real privilege really and playing you know like Dravid you know Raoul Dravid was the nicest bloke ever 
And I learned my whole game against spin came from playing with Raul Dravid, the great Indian batsman. But when he turned up at Kent when I was 20, he didn't want he didn't want a car for the first couple of weeks. Bearing in mind these are legends in their country, you know, Raul Dravid, he already has played a bit for India. He's becoming a superstar in his country. And he didn't want a car for the first two weeks because he wanted a different player to take him to games so he could get to know them better. I mean, what a great bloke. I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't trade all of that for anything, really. And looking back as well, I became a huge cricket fan of kind of early 2000s, where they said the likes of the fantastic England team, the likes of Warren, Hayden, Ponting, Dravid, Tendulkar, Lara, Chris Gale, all these humongous and fantastic names. You look at Test cricket now, on the whole, and yeah, you still got fantastic names, but they're not the names you had 20 years ago. Do you think more needs to be done in world cricket to make Test cricket better? Um, I always find that really hard to answer, really, because it's you're sort of your heroes are always the people when you're young. You know that my heroes are still. Hussain, Atherton, Stewart, Thorpe, you know, these guys, because I was impression, you know, I was a teenager. So I grew up watching these people. And it's very hard to look at things outside of your time almost, you know. So I look at everything and I think, oh no, Shane Warren's better than everyone. Matt Hayden and all those names you mentioned. But now you, you're in a great era of white ball cricket, stuff like that. You know, test cricket is. There's not as many good players around now as there were back then in the world. You know, the West Indies aren't as good and as they were in the 90s. Pakistan, they're all good teams, but they're just not great teams. But the world has moved on, I suppose. So I don't know. I don't know how you change that, really. It's all about what people want. There's a new yeah. world out there. It's, it's there to be embraced, I suppose. It's, exactly. you know, my, my generation, we've always got to, I think, You've always got to understand that we've sort of, we've all, you know, my generation, we've had, we've got our love for the game, you know, and that love was test cricket, all of that stuff. And the next generation are going to love it in a different way. And that's, there's no issue with that. We can't make everyone want to go back to how we all had it. You know, we've got to just make people love the game in whatever form it comes. The Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace in mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance and we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. You must have seen lots of pranks and jokes during your time as an England and Kent player. Who were the best at playing pranks and what was the best prank? There were lots when I started. There was a fella who's sadly no longer with us. One of the funniest blokes I knew was a guy called Graham Cowdery. I didn't know him that well. He was just, when I was young, he was finishing at Kent. And I don't know if this is true, but I heard once he told Trevor Ward, a player, when he came in the team, that he'd won the Melton Mowbray Pork Pie Fielder of the Year Award <laughs> and that he was going to get the award from this place in Melton Mowbray, which is about three hours away. And 
I think Trevor Ward and his dad went to Mo- Melton Mowbray to the <laughs> pie factory or whatever it was and realised it was a wind-up. The other one he did to me was at pre-season when I was 18 at Kent, used to have to meet all the committee and the presidents and president's wife and all this stuff. And he told me I had to make a speech. And I thought, oh, I don't want to make a speech. Van, we called him because he loved Van Morrison. And he picked up, he, he got this ashtray that I didn't realise that was on every table with the flowers in it. And he said, you've got to present these to the president's wife and make a speech about how beautiful she is and all of this. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> So they stopped, and there I am making this speech, and I, God knows what I'm saying, and I'm handing the president's wife an ashtray <laughs> that was on every table. I was like, oh, Jesus, you've done me completely. Yes. Yeah, there were lots. <laughs> uh, you were twice in 2016. Why do you decide. decide to retire? Because there was lots of reasons, really. I sort of felt that in sport you have to retire at some point and you may as well jump in. It's incredibly daunting because all you've done since you were probably four years old is play cricket. I was very lucky that I'd spent 10, 15 years almost being a pundit and a broadcaster for Sky. So I'd learned another trade. I didn't realise I was doing it, but I was. You know, I'd spent every winter for a long time doing work for Sky. So I was learning something along the way, and I did terrible hours for it, like through the night. I'd worked on Bangladesh, New Zealand, in a game that not many people would have watched for, you know, starting at 11 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the morning, and I did that every winter. So I was learning a trade. And when I finished, in 2016, I had one more year left on my contract, and I'd been captain for nine years, and I'd given it up. And my whole plan, when I at the end of my captaincy was that we had to invest in our young players that if Kent were going to be a good team again that it was going to be with our with our young players and so that informed every decision I made you know if we dropped if it was a choice between there was a choice between Sam Billings and Garen Jones Garen Jones had played for England was an older player still a good player still good enough to play but because we wanted to play young players and give invest in them it was a garen jones had to be dropped sam billings played because he was 20 or whatever and then when that decision was me i thought i i can't you know i've got these young batsmen i can play for another two or three years i'd finished with a hundred and a ninety and a hundred in my last three games but i thought i can't you know carry on playing and do what I didn't allow other players to do, other senior players to do. So I just said, I'm done. But I was lucky because I had another job to go to. So it wasn't that selfless. (laughs) After retiring, you became a pundit and a commentator. Did you always want to move into that role and do you enjoy it? No, I love it. It's the best job that you can do, I think. I can't run or field, so anymore or bat so it's it's not really an option to be a player so aside from playing i think it's a great job um but i does i said i've done it as a winter job and then i was fortunate very fortunate you know i, I count myself incredibly lucky because everyone else is a much better player than i was they're all ex-england captains really and i've somehow managed to 
Burgle, this this role at Sky, which is, <laughs> you know, there's some great people around actually there behind the scenes as much as anything. You wouldn't believe, you know, there must be 50 plus, near 100 people on a test match. And none of, you know, the you have the commentators, the players, but there's so much that goes into it. It's so much fun and so rewarding. And uh, what is your favourite thing about commentating? I get to sit around and uh, just argue with NASA. <laughs> I mean, that bloke would argue with a paper bag. He literally disagrees with everything, you know, but he's so much fun. And Ath and Ward, Ian Ward's a brilliant presenter, Mark Butcher, people like Nick Knight. You know, we're all very similar people in a way because we all are, are cricket people. And it's just the most fun off screen, really. Just, you know, everyone's stubborn. Everyone's got their opinion about how the game should be played. And it just ends up in, you know, arguments left, right and centre, which is so much more interesting than just sort of, you know, agreeing with everyone, each other all the time. You know, that's pretty boring. We spoke to some of your mates, Nasser, Afers, and Bumble, a few months ago, and we asked him some quick-fire questions about his Sky Sports colleagues. Can we ask you the same questions, please? Go on, go for it. Who would you take on a night out? Bumble, Bumble. You are stuck on a desert island for a month. Who do you want with you and why? Probably. Uh, I would probably take, I don't know, can I take Ebbs or, you know, someone who's a lot more resourceful than I am? I'd probably take Ebbs or someone like that, I'd imagine. If you want them. <laughs> Who is the funniest? The funniest is Bumble by Mark. I mean, Bumble's just, I mean, Bumble's intentionally funny. NASA is hilarious without realising it. Who is the most intelligent? The most intelligent, I would say, is well, they all are pretty intelligent. I mean, Ath's the most academic. You know, Michael Atherton is someone that, you know, when you listen, he, he sees, he, he's able to articulate the world so much better than everyone else, you know, like, and he, he he's well read. He, he, has a, he has a good read on, on everything, Ath. And he's able to articulate that so much better than I am, or, or any of us really. That you know, that those are the the interesting people because they they sort of they put all your thoughts into a coherent sentence. Um, you know, there's a guy called Ed Smith who's quite similar. You have got in a fight. Who do you want to back you up? Bumble. Bumble's, you know, Bumble's just, you know, he's northerner, so he's, he's probably a bit tougher in a way, although Ath is as well, but he's, um, you know, he's had horrendous back trouble all his life almost. Um, but he yeah, had a great Bumble. Who would be the last to get their round of drinks in at the bar? Well, I would say... 90 would be close there. Probably one of the kindest, nicest human beings on the planet. Um, but, he, you know, he's he sort of begrudgingly gets you drinks, I think, but I'm not a drinker. I don't drink at all. So 
you know, I'm off the radar for all of that stuff. But Knight, he sort of, he does it, you know, under duress. Who would you make the best James Bond? Well, the best James Bond would be myself, probably. You know, especially, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the best James Bond. Tell you, be a pretty cool James Bond would be Ian Ward, albeit a slightly short one. Uh, but Wardy is probably the most um, the most dapper or the most suave of the lot of us. There are four different types of cricket. Test match, one day, 2020 and the 100. Which of them is your favourite and why? Well, you see, I'm test cricket because test cricket is... The, you are not a player in this game unless you've done it in test cricket. So I, I played Test cricket, but I wasn't a you know I don't go down as a good player in it. So that, you know that was a, a failure almost. But the great players are the Test cricketers. The rest are good; they can do whatever they want. You're only a great if you've done it in Test cricket. Um, what are your plans for this year? Well, I'd like to say you know that it's about bettering myself and learning and doing all this kind of stuff and you know enjoying the cricket and watching that but really and truly it's just trying to hit the ball straighter on the golf course it takes up every <laughs> every second of my day you know i would trade everything i've got my house car family you know for a round under par what's your what's your handicap at the moment it's two what is it it's 2.8 but I couldn't shoot that if my life depended on it, you know. So I'm a six <laughs> hand, a six handicapper at best. If you could have dinner with three people, who would they be and why? Oh, I tell you, that's interesting. I, well, I would probably, um, who would I invite? Michael Jordan. Because I love oh, no no yeah Michael Jordan Tiger Woods and Harrison Ford I named my son Harrison after Harrison Ford because I love Star Wars and then I love Indiana Jones I used to we you know what I used to do when I was a kid and this is probably when I say a kid I mean like thirteen <laughs> I used to watch ten minutes of Star Wars and then I'd act it all out with with the figures. And then, then I watch another ten minutes, and then I'd act it out with the figures again, and then I'd then I watch. That's how I used to watch the film over and over again. Probably still do that now, to be honest. <laughs> um, I just want to come in now, Rob, and ask a few questions about kind of England's current setup. Yeah. So, go. as we know, they suffered quite a, bad, a very bad defeat in the Ashes, and a lot went wrong for England during the tour. What would be the one thing if you could name one thing that went wrong? the most and try and change what would that be? I would try and change the mentality of the team at the moment. I think that sort of comes from from the top and the leadership. I think Joe Root is a great player. I think somewhere down the line they've got a bit lost in how, you know, and how they look to play. And, you know, I think the game is about, I think life is about looking, you know, it's about being positive. And in cricket, that means you're always looking to be positive. You're always looking to score. You never want to just survive. You know, you never want to, you know, all this tour, you've got to just fight. We want to get, we just got to fight. No, no, no. 
fighters get beaten up at times. You know, you want to be positive. You want to be on the front foot looking to be positive. And then you can always defend after that. And a lot of people reading in the media and a lot of people are blaming the poor standard of county cricket for the poor test team. Is that something you'd agree with? And if it is, what can you change in the county setup to improve the test team? Yeah, it is. And it's a very complicated answer. But in the simplest terms, I mean, this has been coming a long time. The, I, I played in the good times of county cricket and I also played in the bad, which has been recent. And so much of it is d- due to conditions. It is literally about producing the best surfaces you possibly can and that creates the environment for good cricket. And so if they've got one thing they can do, because it's so complicated, just produce better pitches. And I'm not having to go to the groundsman there about that either. You know, they work bloody hard but we're in a different climate, different, you know, there's drainage all over the place. Get better pitches. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews, pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Rob. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you thank you no problem boys well done you're much better than I am thank you so Tom after another great podcast day with Rob you did fantastic as always I can start with you Tom how do you feel that podcast went well honestly I was astonished and um, I liked also how he kind of like explained about errors in the past as well and then um what was the word for it when people give like a voice in the audience, but some people did like swearing for it? Sledging. Sledging, yeah. I also was interested in that because I was a newbie to hearing about that. Yeah, so that's when players try and maybe put batting off, isn't it, by saying things about his technique or her technique and um, try and put them off to get them out. So yeah, that was really interesting to hear him talk about that. After, what about you? What did you enjoy about the podcast? Um, I like you talk about uh, his life, like Tyra, who's wanted to play a um, cricket debut in 1998. Then, um, yeah, that's it, really. Well, then. Brilliant. Yeah, you did a fantastic job again, boys. I'd like to say thank you, a big thank you to Bob for joining us. And all the best this week, boys. You've done a fantastic job. And we will see you all next week. See you next time, guys. See you next time. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.